0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the leaders who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to anticipate the future, recognize macro trends, and champion innovation in their organizations. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run, and that means you're in the right place. Welcome. We're starting today, Season 2, 2019 of Game Changing Retail Leaders Radio. We had a great year in 2018, lots of interesting guests and very compelling topics about all aspects of retail, and we did have many leaders on the show. So let's see what we're going to be talking about today. Here's the buzz. I found a quote from Howard Mittman. He is the CRO and CMO of Bleacher Report. Here's the quote. Listen up, and it will give us a clue as to what the topic is today. Quote, content is king, but engagement is queen, and she... Where's the pants? I love this quote. So what are we talking about today? Technology has infused itself, inserted itself across how consumers expect to engage with retailers. I'm talking about every kind of retailer. And vice versa. That's how retailers engage with their consumers, with their prospects, with their customers, with their partners, with their buyers, with their supply chain people. And it applies no more, I uh, shall I say, no more strongly, no more significantly than in Fashion retail. Of all the industries in retail, fashion is right there at the top of the game in terms of using technology. Why is this so important for fashion retailers? Well, they need technology for many things. They need to achieve transparency. That's what customers want. They need creation to reuse sustainability. We're talking about circular economy, I believe. We're talking about hyper-personalization. I want it now. I want it in the color and the flavor. I want it, and I want it now. We're talking about hyper-responsive manufacturing, supply chain, and just-in-time delivery. And, of course, we're talking about the opportunity, the ability to have instant insight into Where's your inventory and how are your customers engaging? So what we're talking about today applies as much for up-and-coming design houses in the retail space as for legacy designer brands. The seasons in fashion have no respect for the laggards. We're just going to put that right out there. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're calling this episode, launching our 2019 series of Game Changing Retail Leaders, we're calling this Dress for Success The future of fashion has arrived. Yes, yes, yes. Let me tell you who my three panelists are and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Oliver Stocks, S-T-O-C-K-S, if you're looking for him. And we'll find out what he does later, but I have in the notes here he is a liaison for the Apparel, Footwear, and Fashion ASUG User Group at SAP. Welcoming Oliver. Joining him is a returning guest, Rick Barber, North American Industry Principal for Fashion Retail at SAP. That's a long title, Rick. Welcome back. And Peter Akbar. Rumor has it he's in a cab somewhere. And we'll see what our connection is. He's the Vice President and Chief Customer Officer of Fashion at SAP. And I'm told these are three of the top thought leaders in the space. So we're very, very privileged to have all of you. Oliver Stocks has sent us an opening quote from Leonardo da Vinci. I'll just read a little bio here. Leonardo di Ser Piero da Vinci, 1452 to 1519, more commonly just called Leonardo, was an Italian polymath of the Renaissance, whose areas of interest included invention, painting, sculpting, architecture, science, music, music, mathematics, engineering, literature. I love to read this. anatomy, geology, astronomy, botany, writing, history, and cartography. And he's also been called the father of paleontology, technology, and architecture. And he epitomized the Renaissance humanist ideal. Here is the quote Oliver has selected from Mr. Da Vinci. Learning never exhausts the mind. Oliver Stocks, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today?
2: Thank you so much, Connie. Thanks for having me.
1: We're delighted. Talk to me and welcome. You're a newcomer. So, you and I had a. We met a, about an hour ago on the phone, and I wanted to give you the lay of the land, and you, you're ready to go. So, I love the quote. Why don't you tell me how? We're talking about technology, we're talking about fashion and retail, and you picked a quote from somebody who was alive in the late, in the mid 1400s to early 1500s. So, how does this apply to our topic?
2: Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. So, one of the reasons why I use this uh, specific particular very important person is that we're basically seeing right now the rebirth, the the renaissance of fashion. Um, We really see so much change. We see so much rapid change. We see like established brands innovating themselves over and over. We see brand new brands coming out of nowhere, developing brand new styles, brand new ideas, brand new experiences. And that's why I chose this um, incredible man who had so many talents, but so much curiosity, and passion to become basically the man he ended up being and the man we know. Uh, the other reason why I chose this um, gentleman is I have an opportunity to go to Paris next week with my daughter's under-13 soccer team, and on the plan is to go to the Louvre and see the Mona Lisa. So basically, a uh, little bit of a stretch from technology to uh, 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 you know to art, but that's what Leonardo f- stood for, right? He had all of it, and we have to be open for all of it nowadays as well in order to understand how the market evolves, how consumer. Um, orientation changes and how people want to buy now they want to understand uh, the brand that you're representing and they want to buy from you and they want it now so like a very very interesting man and a little bit of a stretch for my topic here but we all want to learn more and he certainly showed how to
1: uh, Oliver, I applaud you for that. I I love the way you described it. Bravo! Going going to Paris to the Louvre to see see so much wonderful artwork with your daughter's team. That's it's a very exciting thing. I'm very glad you brought that up. But two words in what you said about Leonardo jumped out of me. One is curiosity, and one is passion. And of course, in the context of the quote about learning, I'm thinking that going back to my opening, I said the seasons in fashion have no respect for the laggards in fashion. So if you think about that learning passion curiosity do you think that's what makes a successful retailer today they have a passion for whatever the fashion is no pun no no, no poetic rhyme intended that they're curious about what's going on in the world of omni channel access 24/7 everywhere fashion is never supposed to sleep and they want to learn more and they're just putting it all together. Do you think these are three words we could say describe the successful fashion retailer today?
2: Yeah, I absolutely believe so. I think the established fashion brands have to come up with ideas to make the shopping experience in the store more of a, like an event, like an experience. And we see some companies opening up little cafes within their stores to make the a shopper, a potential shopper more, more comfortable. And then we see brand-new brands you know, who need to find a way to establish their brand and and get to the senses of the human being who wants to go and buy that brand, whether it's online, whether it's in the store, whether it's in a wholesale channel. And in order to get all of these things underway, we all need to be open-minded and learn from the best and continue to innovate ourselves.
1: Thank you, Oliver. Very eloquent and delighted to have you on the show. Welcome, and we have a lot more to hear from you coming up in a little while. Now let me move around the virtual table just a little to Mr. Rick Barber in Fashion Retail at SAP. And Rick has sent us a quote from Socrates, but it's not from Socrates, but it is from Socrates. Socrates, in this case, is a character. In Dan Millman's book, which was part fiction, part autobiography, it was about the peaceful warrior. That's how the title was shortened. The title of the book In 1980, all the way back, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, but it became a movie in 2006, and the title was shortened to Peaceful Warrior, and the character was played by Nick Nolte, the inimitable Nick Nolte. And let me tell you that this Socrates is a gas station attendant who is a man Beyond his years, we never really know in the movie or the book how old he is, but it's thought later on he's over 100 years old, and he guides Dan, who is a uh, he's a, an athlete, a very successful athlete, and he became Socrates became the spiritual teacher to Dan Millman, the young gymnast in the story. So here's the quote. It's a beautiful quote. Listen up. The secret to change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on on building the new Rick Barber. Welcome. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Very well. Did you like my uh, preamble to the quote there?
3: I can't believe you could figure out where that came from. That's fantastic. (laughs) I thought I was the only person who actually saw that movie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I didn't. I may have been the only one who didn't see the movie. That's fantastic. Thank you. So talk to me about this. I I love the the word change and energy and old versus building new. Talk to me about how this this is our topic of technology and fashion retail. Go ahead, Rick.
3: Sure. Well, as you know, I've been on your show before and I'm a, as I've introduced myself to many people, I'm a recovery merchant. You know, I've spent 25 <laughs> plus years on the other side of the table before I joined SAP from a technology perspective, always in some merchandising role. And I think, you know, as I grew in the business, you talked about it with Oliver, it's about change and curiosity and peeling back the onion as, as one manager used to tell me to look for the new exciting trend. When I think about, you know, the changes that are going on in our industry today, and I always put it through the lens of technology and innovation because that's what I do today. When I look at my, my, uh, my previous employers, and the places where I grew up and the industry I grew up, they've lost that ability to look back and, and understand the mistakes they've made and embrace the new things of the future. Oliver talked about the many brands that are out there that are digitally native, that are already curious, that have grown up in a world where everything starts on your iPhone. When you look at the businesses today, those legacy brands as you described them, they've really struggled to figure out why the tools of the past Mm-hmm. still don't serve them in the world of today. Uh, I had one CEO tell me, I'm running a digital business with an analog system. Mm-hmm. That, I thought was, that said millions to me about yes. how they have finally understood, I can't keep doing what I did before and expect to get to a new result. So uh, I love that quote because it really sums up where we are as we look through the fashion industry uh, in what I believe will be one of the most tumultuous years in, in, in decades
1: wow now wait a minute you just can't say one of the most tumultuous years in decades and just leave that hanging you know i want to talk to you a little bit more what do you know without getting into our prediction segment the crystal ball the fashion prediction crystal ball comes at the end of the show rick what do you mean by that you're, you're we're 2019 uh it's early february right now when we're doing the show so this year it's got 10 and a half months left what's going to happen tell me
3: I think that you will see legacy brands take on a look uh, that are very different than they have today. They'll be very strange, as I described to someone the other day, very strange bedfellows of people locking mm-hmm. arms together that you would have never thought would collaborate together to survive. And you will see uh, very, you know again I don't want to get into your crystal ball segment, but you will mm-hmm. see disruptor brands scaling at a pace that will make the previous t- pace seem like they're walking in backwards.
1: Wow, and one more question for you. You said you're a recovering merchant. I put that into your bio for future use because I know you'll be back this year. (laughs) So the question is, without you telling us specific years and previous employers, as you mentioned so gingerly a moment ago, how many phases have you personally slash professionally seen, Rick Barber, in terms of the evolution of technology infusing itself, taking, taking a note out of my opening monologue, technology literally infusing, embedding itself, ingraining itself into the quote-unquote fabric of fashion? How many phases have you seen along the way?
3: Well, you know, you're going to make me feel really old now because I can remember <laughs> as a young buyer or young assistant buyer getting one of the first computers – uh, to be used in the company, right? Well, you still had old green screens. Uh, yeah. And we thought that that was state-of-the-art, looking at an old AS400 screen. And I can remember once going with a laptop to my, my senior management saying, you know, I'd like to have access to the Internet uh, because there's a lot of research I can do out there on the market. And their answer was, everything you need to know is inside these four walls. Don't worry about what's going on out there. So think about <laughs> where our businesses come from. And I'm not that old, and Oliver will back you up, uh, the poison back me up. But that is an amazing transformation in one person's career to watch technology go from a curiosity uh, to a dependence.
1: That is why I asked you. I had a feeling, and no, you did not reveal too Leading much what is the what is the phrase uh, opening the kimono? We just peaked a little bit. That's all. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. An overused phrase, but very applicable right here. And now let me let you off the hook and move around the table. Rumor has it he's in a cab somewhere. Peter Akbar is joining us, and Peter has also returning guests has sent us a wonderful quote: "Words to live by" from the late John F. Kennedy, Jack Kennedy, 1917 to 1963, referred to as J.F.K., American politician and journalist. I didn't know he was. Journal- He was the 35th president of the United States from 1961, January, until his assassination, November 63. And yes, I do remember exactly where I was the day he was shot and everything that happened. It's one of those, ooh, in life, I know that. So Peter Akbar has chosen this quote from JFK, quote, Change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Peter Akbar, how are you and where are you?
4: Hey, I'm really good. Thanks, Bonnie. And thank you for, for inviting me back. I'm not in the cab. I'm just about to get in the cab to get to Newark and to to, to fly across <laughs> the pond uh, to London. So uh, it should be relatively quiet today.
1: <laughs> you sound wonderful. You've got a fantastic connection wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about this. Change is the law of life. Should we change that quote to say, change is the law of fashion retail, life in fashion retail? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me about it.
4: <laughs> yeah, you hit the... You, you're exactly right. I mean, it is. It is the, the, the law of fashion. I mean, I mean, when you think about, uh, you know, that was nearly 40 odd years, more than 40 years ago, uh, that uh, JFK uttered those words. And it's, it's relevant now. It's actually, I, I would agree with, with Oliver and with Rick. It's probably more relevant now than ever before because the, um, the power of looking forward rather than you know, sticking to what you know um, takes a leap of faith. It does take a um, a belief in the future, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we we know if if you if you just continue to build on stuff that you've always done, and uh, you know, we've heard some stories today about, or you will hear some stories today about, you know, folks who, who who kept looking backwards, especially when it comes to fashion retail. You know, whether it's designers, whether it's retailers, whether it's the brands. Um, looking backwards and sort of like getting in the bunker and saying, no, you know, I'm not going to ignore the change isn't going to work. You you really have to get in there and embrace the change. Run with it. Um, Just like JFK would have done, um, you know, to make Mm -hmm. your world as a business world a far better place.
1: Very, very interesting. Let's do a little looking back. I asked a question of Rick Barber in his years in the retail industry, fashion industry, uh, what he's seen in terms of phases of evolution, of change. What have you seen, Peter? And and, uh, embedded in that, I'd love you to talk about, you know, we talk about the rearview mirror sometimes. You have to learn from the mistakes of the past. Well, Kennedy's quote is basically, don't look, I think he means don't dwell on the past or the present. Keep your eye on the future. So, Are there, and come on, we all know, you you look up retail anywhere, not even fashion, and you see, well, this door closed. And we all know that Sears has tried how many times to go in and out of bankruptcy, and the catalog didn't convert over quickly enough. And Mm -hmm. other major retailers didn't see the curve coming. They didn't see the ball coming over the net. So in your opinion, they have to look at what didn't work in order to know where to head in the future or not. What do you think?
4: Well I love that, and you're you 're absolutely right you 've got to be brave you 've got to be brave and look back and look look at what worked look, what didn 't work and you 've got to have a – I think you need to have basically like a, a you know a foot in each world because mm-hmm. let 's face it you 're in transition, so you have to understand where you 've been what worked and um the and and what didn 't work um, and i think you know in in my experience um you know twenty five years Creating solutions for the fashion industry, um, for for the work for small customers as well as the really you know the giant multinationals. Um, one thing stri- strikes me is that you know while, while some of the things like you know um, people have said ah you know business processes aren't going to change you know and, and and they they'll say oh well orders to cash for example I mean I still take an order I still make something I still say sell something but the trick is yeah that isn't changing necessarily but what's around it how you get to the market how you engage with the consumer and the new business models around that 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 basic transaction which has existed for literally Mm -hmm. thousands of years you know to your point bonnie step in the past the the way forward is in is in how we connect that and whether it's uh, examples you know the the senile buy now off the off the runway um, the collaboration that goes with the, uh, as Rick put it, you know, the the unlikely bedfellows, as it were, right, going mm-hmm. forward. Th- this is we're going to see more of that. Um, and and it's true that you know, just look at last year. I mean, you know, the the, the bankruptcies, the folks who have moved into Chapter Eleven. You know, clearly, old retail, old-fashioned retail, isn't working. So, you know, the big lesson for the future is how you move forward and ha- and how you engage with the the consumer. Uh, you know, this, um, And everybody around this table, I think, has lived through everything from green screen <laughs> all the way to phones and the mobile yeah. piece, which has really changed yes. things. And when you said to me, uh, asked me, you, Bonnie, you know, what's, what's the biggest change? And I think yeah. the, it's really the mobile, right? So the, the ability to transact and do stuff um, by mobile uh, and the possibilities that gives us was huge. And the next thing, what we're seeing happening, actually, not even the next thing, it's happening right now, right in front of us, it's mm-hmm. AI. It's, it's how it. AI, yes. machine learning, and all those things, yes. which we'd love to talk about in just a minute, are actually yes. influencing those, those old business processes to, to really bring to life the experience of the consumer.
1: Thank you. Always so articulate, Peter. And I have a question about influencing fashion retail. I have to ask the three of you. You're going to have to forgive me. This was not in the plan for the show. But I just watched part of the Grammys. And the fashions were, if I say outre, I mean that out of sight, not old fashioned. They were I was, even I was shocked at some of the women's fashions on the show. So I'm just going to simply go around the table. Peter, I'll start with you because I have you here right now. And the question is, sure. fashion retail, does it have to be shock proof in terms of you watch a show? There are, even if it's down, I heard it's going to be down six million viewers because people are just not watching it. They can see clips on the web. They don't have to watch live anymore. Mm-hmm. So the question mm-hmm. is, is the fashion retail industry bulletproof against what people wear on the runway that moment on that Grammy show on that Oscar show, or do they have to be able to punt and pivot and go back to their designers, go back to the supply chain, go back to their distributors and say, wow, this is going to be the latest trend. We saw it last night. It's on the 11 o'clock news. We've got to have it by tomorrow afternoon at three. Uh, Peter, yeah. tell me the
4: truth. Tell me the truth. <laughs> um, absolutely. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it, it you know, more than ever, it's about capturing the moment, um, yes. and the the people, the brands, the designers that understand that and and can can actually change and pivot instantly will be absolutely. You know, uh, essentially, they're the ones who will be moving their product, and that's what it's all yes. about, essentially, right? So, whatever the design is, whether it's right out there, the the we I mean designers want to make sales, and, and and I was talking to one of the big ones uh, that, um at New York Fashion Week just this weekend. We, uh, we did a, a wonderful app for him uh, at New York Fashion Week at the Rockefeller Center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, he quoted to me the ability to understand what people were loving yes. and liking yes. in real time was yes. instrumental because he can then actually make changes and doesn't have to wait for the stuff to hit the, hit the stores. He can actually make changes now. And that's all about being nimble and pivoting, as you just said.
1: Thank you. I wanted that reality check. I'm going around the table. Oliver Stocks, thoughts on the impact of visual fashion the shock, the surprise, the OMG, and I was on Twitter last night looking at some of the reactions and they were, whew, I can't say them on the air, uh, so Oliver, what do you think about the ability of fashion retailers to have, we're talking about technology, all of the technology tools, the AI and the internet of things and and the machine learning and the deep learning and, and blockchain and everything at their, literally at their fingertips to be able to, that wonderful word I said that Peter liked, pivot, what's your thought on that?
2: I think, Bonnie, you just said it yourself by by saying there was so much talk on Twitter, there was so much talk on other social media, and that's what it's all about. It's not about that dress and that you expect the normal person in Boston to actually wear it. It's about getting the name of the designer out there. It's getting the name of the brand out there. And that's why all these big brands are looking to get these celebrities in order to be named and then talked about. And then you can run statistics in the social media and find out who was talked about. And the more people chat, the more the brand value increases. So that's how I see it from my perspective. It's no longer getting things out there that you think somebody would wear per se. Maybe they would rent it for one night in the new world of (laughs) renting a garment, maybe for one specific night. But I don't think it's meant to be for people to be worn.
1: Thank you. I feel so relieved because there's no (laughs) way, no way I was ever going to wear what some of them were wearing and it was no, no, no. But I like what you said, <laughs> Oliver, because Steve Carell has started doing Pepsi commercials in a diner and I couldn't understand why somebody of his quote unquote stature in the movie and TV industry would want to do that and I just realized, you said it, people will be talking about that Pepsi ad whether they're drinking Coke or Pepsi, doesn't really matter. Steve Carell, did you see him in the diner? Wow, he was saying this and he was saying that and he looks pretty good a little older than last year people are going to be talking about him and linking him to the brand you are so right Oliver thank you Rick Barber I have to get you in on this conversation impact of in your face fashion and trends on the realities of being a fashion retailer talk to me yeah
3: Bonnie I think you know uh, Oliver and Peter hit it you've got to be able to read and react and and be able to interpret um, you know what you see on those shows and runways as an old dress buyer You know, I would have a war room going today with all of the pictures from the shows and all the award shows this season and be trying to react to those because on the high end from a couture perspective, if you don't have that dress that everyone's looking for within the two weeks after that event, well, now it's out of their mind and they've moved on to something else. But I'll give you a better example of how someone can read and react to a customer on an everyday basis. We would often seed the weather girls or weather women in in our particular towns with dresses. And almost like clockwork, if somebody was wearing a dress and she was a popular weather person or traffic Mm -hmm. person on the news, I would see a spike in that dress for the next week and a half. So the customer is innately looking at what she's seeing, and she's trying to interpret that in her own wardrobe, in her own way. If you can get that information quicker, more intuitively, uh, you can win the war for market share.
1: Wow, very, very well put. Inter- yes, yes, interpreting. We all have to. You know, I don't know if hats are making a comeback, but I've started taking drum lessons and I've already played with a rock band in, in a very public place here in Durham. And I go to open mics and I am bringing back the purple felt hat, whether it's fashionable or not. I want to. And you know what? Funny, funny story. The comments from some of the audience to a friend I brought to an open mic a few weeks ago. Yes, it does take a lot of nerve after five months of drumming to go sit with a professional band and play in public, but I have that. You know that. But what's funny was the comment wasn't, was she good or was she not so good or, wow, she's only been playing a few months. The comment was, you ready for this, gentlemen? Are you ready? We've never seen a drummer wearing a dress. I swear to God. (laughs)
3: That's so funny.
1: That was the comment. I wear, I wear mostly black and I wear dresses and they're a little bit below the knee and they're just very soft fabric and with a colorful jacket over the top. The comment was we've never seen a drummer wearing a dress. I thought that was, hey. I didn't really, I made a fashion statement or maybe not. You're setting On, a trend. I I hope so. The purple hat is coming with me next week when I go back to the open mic. I, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying this conversation. I have to do a shout out to Stephen Sparrow who worked so hard to put together this panel. And Stephen said to me, wait till you hear these three gentlemen together. You are getting the creme de la creme of experience in fashion retail. And Stephen, he's on a plane right now. You were right. So now let's get to know our panelists just a little bit. I want to keep this part very short, but we'll start with Oliver Stocks. Oliver, we'd love to know where are you calling from today? No Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or the number on your office door. We don't want that personal. Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world that keeps you happy and smiling and full of energy? I'm looking at your wonderful, picture here. And number three, just give us a little background on what you do. Go ahead, Oliver. All right. Thank
2: you, Bonnie. So um, I live outside of Boston in New England, and I learned to cherish a good New England IPA. And that's basically where my story wants to begin. So I'm born and raised in Germany, and you can probably still detect my accent. I've been here for about 18 years. I'm a little bit mm-hmm. German at heart in terms of my love for that drink. So a couple of years ago, Peter and I, we hosted the European SAP User Group for Fashion in Munich. And we decided to have a nice evening event at the local brewery, which happens to be the oldest brewery in the world. Weinstefan, um, just north of Munich, uh, was founded in 1021. And the art of brewery, um, you know, was basically invented there. So um, after a hearty, nice dinner, we had an opportunity to take a tour around the old abbey. And we learned about the very knowledgeable tour guide uh, who was guiding us around in the very, very modern facilities within this old abbey. And we learned more about beer. And we learned about this young man studying brewing science and beverage technology as part of the uh, Technology University of Munich, if you believe it or not. So here we are learning about Weinchefan, learning about Mm -hmm. the new um, beers they were brewing. And we learned about the history of the Benedictine monks and how they established the beer brewery there and the abbey. Since 1021, so I had to ask, you know, living in Boston, I would love to buy a Weinsteffern IPA. Why don't you just come up with a version of that kind of beer? And they told me they cannot. Because of the German purity law from 1516, they're not allowed to use anything else other than yeast, barley, hop, and water. So there was no way for them to develop like a kind of beer that I would have enjoyed bringing back to the Boston area. So that's my story here as a German-American man.
1: That's quite a story. You promised me a good story when I met you on our pre-show call, and you certainly delivered. Now tell me, little, anything you want to add about what you do about ASAP? Yeah, so like I've been
2: with um, SAP for about 20 years now, actually close to 21 years, and I've been mm. working in projects with customers adopting our solutions. So the solutions that Peter comes up with that contain best practices, I'm looking to implement those and help our companies partners And our services organization to make sure that our customers get the best value out of those solutions and as i'm spending time with customers i'm also hearing about their additional requirements and as part of the point of contact for the user group here in the us i work very closely with the solution management and Mm -hmm. the the development teams together making sure that u.s american requirements are translated into standard software that we can then further implement and add value to our
1: companies Thank you very much, Oliver. Pleasure to know you. Rick Barber, catch us up. Where are you today? What's your favorite drink? And what's new with you as the North America Industry Principal for Fashion Retail at SAP?
3: Yeah, well, actually today, Bonnie, I am in our North American headquarters here in uh, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, for some meetings with some of our teammates here. So a little change of venue for my New York uh, roots every day. I am a born and bred New Yorker, although I spend a lot of time in California, and Texas in my career, trying to get away from the snow. But somehow I found myself all the way back where I started my career. So uh, my role here at SAP, oh, my favorite drink, let's start with that one. Uh, My Mm -hmm. kids know exactly what that is. It's a classic Coca-Cola. It's boring Mm -hmm. as that is. Uh, I don't get to have many of those because they're not very good for you. But it is my favorite treat, especially when I'm not feeling well. And today I have a bit of the flu. So I am enjoying a Coca-Cola um somewhere between NRF and, and New York Fashion Week, I picked up a cold. So it's been a Sorry. fun couple of weeks, but uh, I'm uh, recovering, thank God, now. Uh, my We're role here to- at SAP, as yes. we discussed before, um, you know, I, I'm a bit of a software whisperer. I'm not a technology person. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my brothers, Peter and, and Oliver, Uh, in the field with our customers, sort of listening to what's on their mind, understanding what the important trends are in our industry, explaining that to our smart thinkers who come up with solutions like Peter's team so they can be developing real-world solutions to real-world problems. Uh, And then sometimes I do it in the reverse. I have to explain to my my retail brethren what the smart people are thinking, you know, and, and understand that Their problems are being solved, and here's how it's solved. So um, Mm -hmm. it's been a fun role. I spent a lot of time with these guys on the road, with customers, uh, with our data development teams, uh, and it's an exciting part of the transformation of our business uh, and the industry we've all sort of grown up in love.
1: Thank you. Two quick questions. Where in New York did you grow up? Because I'm a New Yorker, too.
3: Well, I technically grew. I was born in Bayonne, New Jersey, spent a lot of time okay. there with my family when I was a kid. Uh, and then when I moved back to New York, I was living on 56th and 2nd, in Sutton Place, um, which was, uh, you know, a nice respite from living in oh, Texas yeah. before that.
1: Oh, yeah. And the other question is, do you drink your Coca-Cola out of a bottle, out of a glass? And if it's in a glass, is it just cold or do you put ice cubes in it?
3: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because my wife and I have a battle over ice. She believes you don't have to have ice in your drink that you're just wasting the drink. I like to have a little ice in my drink because I like it to be cold. Uh, and Peter will understand this. When I go to London, I have to order a bucket of ice and a can of Coke because I need to get you know enough ice cubes to make it cool. So uh, I like it with a little bit of ice.
1: I don't know why I asked that question. I'm sorry. This is just too good. Thank you, Rick, for your candor. We know so much more about you. Peter Akbar, you're up next. Where are hey. you? I know you're you're about to go somewhere on a plane. Uh, where are you um, usually? What's your favorite drink that keeps you jetting around the world for fashion retail? And what's your role these right. days? Go ahead.
4: Sure, sure. Well, I'm in New York and I've been in New York uh, for New York Fashion Week Um uh, at the Christian Siriano show, and actually interviewed him. Um, we've mm. um, so I'm on my way back to London, uh, which is where uh, so I'm actually originally from England. But I uh, after 15 years uh, uh, living in Boston, had six years in um, in Germany, and uh, the last couple now sort of basically commuting between London and uh, and uh, the, uh, essentially um, states. Um, in terms of what I, what I drink, I, I think the thing that keeps me going right now is coffee. I do love coffee, and uh, it's, it's marvelous that you can get a great cup of coffee everywhere in the world. Um, I think that certainly, let's say 15, 20 years ago in, in London, it, it was really difficult, but thank goodness mm-hmm. it's uh, one of the great <laughs> things about um, <laughs> the growth of coffee <laughs> is that uh, we can get a great cup everywhere. So that keeps me going. Um, Lovely. <laughs> in terms of what I do... Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, it's, it's about creating solutions. So I'm on the technology side. Um of, of creating solutions for customers that we've talked about today, fashion retailers, brands, designers. Um, so it's really solving real-world problems um, with with technology. And, of course, the the key is, and as Rick mentioned it, and Oliver too, it's listening to the customer. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we have user groups, whether they're strategic like, like our C, C-level counts fashion council, Bonnie, or whether it's user groups, Mm-hmm. Uh, listening will tell you so much <laughs> and um, we're, we're grateful we have a whole bunch of great customers that, uh, that listen to us and share um, their stories and yeah, essentially what, what I do is, is, is help motivate folks at SAP uh, and a lot of bright folks to create great software that, uh, that can help solve those real-world problems.
1: Thank you, Peter. Happy to have you, and thank you for fitting us into your travels. Rick, you sound great for somebody who says he has a cold, so keep that Coca-Cola going. Now, I have news for the three of you. We're not taking a break. We're just going to go right on through because I don't want to lose any time. This is just too good a conversation to interrupt. Oliver Stocks, I'm looking at your notes here, and I have – uh, let's see. I'm going to pick out two statements and have you, let's keep it to two minutes a piece or less going around the table and then I'll find something from Rick and something from Peter. So Oliver told me before the show, he says, I, Jen, that's born in 1995 to 2012, is the first generation spending their entire adolescence with smartphones. So I'm going to jump down to another statement. Now you said the I want it now mentality is pervasive throughout the fashion industry. Recent statistics show that over 50% of online transactions originated, wait for it, on the smartphone. You're in a stadium, you see your team win, you order online, and you're wearing the winner's jersey the next day. So Oliver, tell us a little bit more about this, and we'll quickly get Rick and Peter to chime in. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so this is like the, the amazing uh, you know, life we live in now. So I would have never expected to be um, like in something like this, to be honest with you. And without my daughter, who's uh, you know, 12 at this point, I probably wouldn't even know um, how, how they go about their lives and how much the influences and the YouTube shows and everything that happens on the iPhone basically influences their desire for garments, for you know, beauty articles, anything cosmetics, or anything else around sports. Everything is at their fingertips. They are much better educated than we would have ever been. They have much more access to information and they have access to learning about a brand. So the iPhone Mm -hmm. is certainly transmitting all this information and making sure that people who are on the phone get that desire to buy something. And there's a lot of stuff that's being bought that is not really your traditional brand. And there's a lot of stuff out there that has to do with belonging, feeling uh, to be part of a team, part Mm -hmm. of a uh, following part of a like a new trend and and that's what's happening now i see them spending a lot of time on their phones we're all trying to limit it but ultimately they're all connected at all times and i saw a study recently that those kids of this generation z or i call it here the iGen generation mm-hmm. spend a lot less time together in like in physically together they spend more time together in chat rooms they spend more time together in any kind of media where they are, share their experiences real-time, taking pictures by the second, looking at influences by the second, and growing that community and therefore driving a whole different way of um, like going to market and understanding yes. what those users really want. And, and it's, it's mind-boggling how this is changing the way that people buy.
1: Very well put. Thank you. I, I, and there's such an excitement around this. Rick Barber, join us. Thoughts on what Oliver shared? Agree, disagree? You want to raise the bar? Go ahead.
3: No, I think what you're witnessing is really truly the democratization of fashion, right? Everyone gets a vote, everyone gets a say. Mm-hmm. We as as Peter mentioned, you know, we were at the Christian Sariano show and you know, half of the audience was made up of bloggers that no one really knew. Yes, there were the Anna Wintors and the and the fashion directors of the world there. But by the time those bloggers left the room, their followers, many with millions of followers knew what the latest Soriano dress was going to be, whether people liked it or or didn't like it. Uh, It wasn't about waiting for the next, you know, Vogue magazine to come out or the department stores to dictate what it would look like. So if you think about it, it really is a very empowering uh, uh, format for customers to get what they want. It may be, in fact, you know, you think about the shock and awe you talked about from last night's award shows. Mm -hmm. It almost makes those people have to go crazy over the top because kids are so focused on other forms of media to get those fashion impulses that you'd have to do something outlandish to get anyone's attention. So it is truly the democratization of fashion. And uh, quite honestly, those brands that can listen and can actually hear, you know, we talk a lot about listening to customers, but do they really hear what the customer is saying and can they do something about it? Those are the ones that are going to uh, dominate the markets of the future.
1: Wow, I, I'm I'm just taking in what you just said. Thank you very much, Peter Akbar. While I recover my breathing here from from the brilliance mm-hmm. of this panel, go ahead, chime in, please. What do you have to say?
4: Sure, no, no, I agree with my my panelists here. The uh, I, I completely agree. It's the, it, it, the two things: the democratization of fashion for sure, and um, and the experience uh, economy that that, uh, that Oliver was really talking about. Um, really come together and or really are coming together now, so if you can understand what your what, what your um, customer wants and you you 're giving them the experience that they need and uh, as you all know that's that 's online um, so stores are having a hard time uh, but if you can if you can combine those two things so that folks get what they need and come to a store, you can actually save stores <laughs> so it's you know it it all is not lost. But you have to be able to bring those two things together. And that, that that means that you've got to have some technology in there to understand what your consumer wants. And, and you've got to understand what they want in real time and be brave enough to, to, um, to listen. Because if they're saying, we're not buying that because we don't like it or I'm ignoring it, mm-hmm. you need to take that back into your supply chain and make sure you don't make it. Um, if they yes. love something and you can find that real time and there's, multiple ways of using technology to do that, um, whether with voting apps, uh, with whether, whether you're scanning social media, etc., then take advantage of that because that will make the difference there.
1: Thank you, Peter. All right. Oliver, in Thank the interest you. of time, I'm going to circle around to Rick's notes here. I want to make sure we cover as much as possible and it's going great. So, Rick Barber, I'm looking and you told me the following quote, fast-scaling, digitally-native brands are capturing large chunks of market share from the legacy brands. These brands are the future of retail and commerce. And then I'm going to add one more sentence from another statement. You say uh, they need to digitally deliver the kind of intimate connection to the customers that every brand desires. That word intimate seems a little bit foreign in a sentence where we're talking about connecting via phones and on screens and not talking to salespeople and not even setting foot in a physical brick-and-mortar store. So, Rick Barber, give me some background, please.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we found as the three of us travel in the fashion industry is these these interrupter brands that, you know, in the past would have struggled to scale because you have to build brick-and-mortar stores and you have to get the word out that people are there through expensive forms of marketing. Well, today, somebody with a sweater or a sneaker and a website is a retailer. And because Mm -hmm. of the power uh, and uh, availability of social media, they are able to scale so much faster than maybe any other industry out there. We look at a lot of industries, and while there are a lot of upstart brands, there's still infrastructure that's required. In fashion, there isn't that kind of infrastructure initially. So you're able to start to become disruptive immediately. Those brands tend to be driven by um, customers who are, Brand loyal, they become followers of that brand. Whether they're part of a, uh, a group of athletes that look at a specific, you know, uh, brand aspirationally, or it's part of a, a social network that someone has seen on TV, these brands are able to grow so dramatically fast, and and the legacy brands are struggling to keep up that they're actually starting to make a dent in those marketplaces and in those market shares that it's become disruptive to legacy brands. They're trying to figure out internally, could they start to be disruptive internally? Could they start to be uh, develop SWAT teams to come up with special projects because Mm -hmm. they're just too large and too cumbersome to change their DNA? So we see this a lot in the marketplace. And the intimacy, everybody wants to be heard and known. When you talk to the customers of these brands, they say, well, this, they know me. They understand me. They understand all the things that are important to me. So they're able to make that connection. And we're not saying in a small store, in a small town, we're talking about three or four million customers that feel intimately connected with the brand. It's no longer price, it's no longer a coupon or a promotion. They buy it out of a section for that brand that legacy brands are, are struggling to understand.
1: It, now, wow, now wait a minute. Legacy brands are struggling to understand. Wouldn't you think that the long-standing brands would know that their longest customers who keep coming, I'm thinking of perhaps the Bergdorfs or the B. Altmans if you remember that one and the and sure. Taylors, Rick of course you do, uh, I I lived near Miracle Mile, I was in Great Neck for many years, the past 32 years and lived near Miracle Mile and mm-hmm. I could see those stories coming and going, but wouldn't you think that they understood there was always emotional connection way with customers, way before all of the, the connectivity we have today, way before the smartphone these women in, in many cases and men came in because the the feel of the store, the way they were treated. There was an emotional quality. What did the dressing rooms look like and how often were the fashions, what was displayed in the window? And don't you think that was an emotional connection as the precursor or is it all completely different now? I'm really curious.
3: I think, you know, Bonnie, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut and I worked in a little men's clothing store and we used notebook paper and we had old-fashioned <laughs> accounts. You paid your uh, you paid your credit when it was due. I knew every man's. But between high school and college, I worked from yes. sweeping the floors to yep. running the store as a buyer. When I graduated from college, by the time I graduated from college, I knew every man's suit in our neighborhood in their closet. When their wife came in and said, "Bill needs a new shirt and tie for <laughs> a meeting," I knew exactly what blue suit he was trying to match because I remember selling it to him, and yes. I was able to be that sort of member of the family consultant. You were. Well, you can do that digitally today
2: yeah.
3: with, the, with, the, with the technology and information at hand. Somewhere between that hometown experience and my career throughout you know, the rest of retail, that got lost in the just, hey, we'll have one more one-day sale. We'll print one more coupon. And they've lost that intimacy, which in their minds and their hearts they know is important. And that's where those digitally uh, native brands – pick right back up, because they, they send me things that are important to me. Yes. They, they have curated assortments that are important to me. I don't need to see every suit in America. I just need to see the suits that I think are important. That Being able to do that technologically reconnects that almost back to the future of retail. Yes.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you for connecting the dots for me. Peter Ackbar, I'm going to give you a minute and a half to respond to this and on Oliver, and I think we've got to go to our predictions round at that point. So, Peter, what are your thoughts on the idea of intimate connections in the digital age in retail fashion?
4: Yeah, sure, absolutely. It, it, it's super important, and uh, I think uh, you know our panelists have already laid, laid that out. I would just add a couple of things. The um, the If you look at the solutions that are available today um, and uh, – a lot, of them, a lot of them have been tried and tested. It's, how, it's really how you bring them together to give the intimacy, if you like, to the consumer. So how do you know right, that, that, you know, that I, I like this kind of pattern on a shirt or I like this kind of dress? And it's, it, so the sharing of that data, which a lot of the iGen and the millennials, et cetera, are more than happy to do these days, uh, is, is critical. So being able to have that data and understand Right, who your consumer is and what they want mm-hmm. vital, um, and then it's about then creating or curating those assortments, and uh, you know whether you're using artificial intelligence or AI, machine learning to actually predict right what people would want what is the buying journey what is what is if i buy if i if i bought this dress or this outfit what will i need in the future for example if i've got an interest in music uh, and i like drumming should i be looking for that purple felt hat
0: right mm-hmm. and if i've got enough
4: data <laughs> if i've got enough data and i use it the right way I can, I can predict that. So I can land an offer in your inbox or better still, as you're yes. walking past my store, Bonnie, I yep. can drop an SMS to you and say, hey, Bonnie, Guess you're going to love this. This is the purple hat <laughs> that you need, <laughs> right? And I think this is how we get intimate. This is, this is really what yes. we mean by intimacy, right? It can't no. be creepy, no. but it's got to be super relevant,
1: Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Let's go around the table to Oliver Stocks. Oliver, join this conversation briefly, and then, Oliver, I'm going to stay with you, and you're going to go right into the predictions round. So what are your thoughts on this concept of intimate connections with customers in the digital age and or legacy brands slipping away from that and giving over the power to the digitally native brands? Oliver?
2: Yeah, I believe there's still room for the personal shopper, for the personal experience in the store, if it's well done if it's correctly done. So you need much better educated um, sales personnel, right? I think the times of the really large mall, having random Mm -hmm. people walk around from department to department, being very little knowledgeable about the uh, styles that are in stock or what's in the back room, I mean, those times will probably be over. I rather expect people to be more focused on um, taking care of the customer, making it a holistic experience, and uh, picking the customer up on where he wants to be picked up Therefore, they, of course, have to have a little bit more of the history of the customer and his buying behavior, which you can very well also curate within the store concept. But then we have the digital native companies that track, you know, what you have in your basket, how Mm -hmm. long it's been in your basket, if you threw it out of your basket again. So there's a lot of um, intimacy we can get via technology to find out what a customer was looking for, what the consumer ultimately wanted and didn't buy. We don't know why he or she didn't buy it, but we can probably find out by some other surface tree. And it's, it's borderline creepy, as we said earlier, but it's got mm-hmm. to executed, be executed well and maybe even given an opportunity for the consumer to opt in if he or she wants to be tracked that way. I think that's where we've got to be uh, in order to be closer to our consumers.
1: Thank you. Is there a prediction in there, or do you want to take 30 seconds to add a prediction?
2: I think there's, like, from my perspective, I think there's still, like, a really strong sense of belonging and being part of a team and being part of a brand and i think it still means a lot to customers to know that they have a brand the go-to brand that they want to continue to live with um you know there's like an emotional connection to brands, and that has to be curated well and i think that's going to be the future to make sure to hit that sweet spot
1: very well put thank you very much rick barber 60 seconds it's time for your predictions go ahead
3: well, I kind of gave you a sneak peek in the predictions, but uh, mm-hmm. I believe that 2019 will be the most disruptive year in the fashion and retail industry. I think there will be uh, at least one if not more major, you know, mergers with uh, a brick and mortar and some digitally native brand uh, as they all look to figure out how to get that customer intimacy and and deliver that last piece of goods to the, you know, customer in an efficient manner. I think you will see disruptor brands getting larger and larger and the scale of their ability to Uh, drive change in the industry, Uh, this will be a transformative year uh, for our industry, I believe.
1: Thank you very much. You think it'll be transformative? Okay, let me get down to the bottom line here, Rick. Do you think we will see the fall away of certain legacy brands that will start to topple from their previous empires or start to weaken and and make some noise in the news about uh, chapter Eleven, or we're cutting back, we're we're laying off uh, fifteen thousand people in twenty five hundred stores around the world. Do you think we're going to see some toppling?
3: Yes, I do. I believe some of the biggest brands that we know out there uh, will suffer, you know, by the you know grace of the economy and the change in the e-commerce of their business, uh, and will not look like if they survive, they will not look like what they do today.
1: Very important, very telling. Thank you, Peter Akbar. I saved, actually, I have 90 seconds for you, Peter, so go ahead. What's your prediction?
4: Sure, i got got a couple. I mean, just to start with the stores, I think that uh, um, the retail store can be saved, Um, not all of them, but the retail store can be saved by returning to intimacy, because um, if we can combine AI with uh, what's going on in the store with the data that we have about people who want to share it, um, we can get new experiences to those people and actually bring them back into the store. So effectively, um, you know, you know, Rick talked about the, uh, you know, the, 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 true understanding of the local customer, right? We can do that digitally today. That's going to help save stores. Second thing is um, the digit- if you look at the, 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 um, the, the circular economy, I know we haven't talked about it much t- today. and I'm sure that might be a topic for the future, uh, Bonnie, mm-hmm. but, the circular economy in terms of, you know, you know a lot of fashion, seven, you know, the, the numbers between 60%, 80% ends up as landfill. And it ends up as landfill because nobody knows how what, what's in those fibers and what, how they can recycle. Um, there's technology now emerging, which will um, ensure that stuff can get recycled, that a pair of jeans before it ends up in a landfill can be recycled back to the core thread of the denim and the zips can be reused um, because we can track Mm -hmm. every individual garment, right? That's the key. So by doing that, I believe that this will become a major differentiator for brands, for consumers who are looking to buy stuff that is actually sustainable, and it will be a huge profit margin because if I can recycle my stuff at the end of the day, hey, uh, that, that's, um, that's a few dollars back to me and it's uh, and, and benefit to the world.
1: Thank you um, very much. Yes, go ahead. 10 seconds. Okay. 10
4: seconds. I got one. Yeah. And I think also that this digital experience will also save the fashion show, right? Because we're seeing shows move from traditional to pop-up venues. Designers will stay relevant by getting closer. Yep. Thank you.
1: Thank yeah. you. Okay. While you were talking, I was looking up Casey Musgrave's looks at the Grammys last night and the Hollywood reporter does a complete dissection. The Grammy winner rocked everything from vintage to Valentino. They describe in excruciating detail the relationship of every color and style she wore to every album and song she's ever done. And she is front and center on this article. So if you're interested in the breakdown, breaking down Casey Musgrave's looks, I think the three of you will find it very, very interesting. And I certainly did because I saw most of them. I can't thank the three Three of you enough. This is just such a conversation. Uh, Peter, you alluded to if we come back, of course you are. I'm going to send the three of you an invitation to do part two on my flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. I know the Coffee Break audience would love to hear what we've talked about. So I'll send you an invitation for end of March, early April, and let's get back together and continue this. I really appreciate the energy and all the insights and A lot of the sharing of personal information. Thank you for your background, Rick Barber. I can just picture you knowing everybody, what they wore around town. I bet they loved you for it. So I'm doing a shout out to Stephen Sparrow. Thank you, Stephen, so much. And apparently Kelly Cockshaw has gotten married and is on her honeymoon. So we do a shout out and a hug to her. And uh, Stephen, you're off to a great start for season two, 2019 on Game Changers Radio. And Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you always for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here's my call to action. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here are my words of wisdom. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Oliver Stocks, just like Rick Barber, just like Peter Akbar, all at SAP. Have a great day and be fashionable. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Retail Leaders, presented by SAP. The best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.